Download Adam Sank's last comedy album on Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play. We're already in the shower together. The risk has been taken. If I don't blow you, the risk will have been for nothing. Warning. The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> JB, you start sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. I okay. hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun, good one. Going down on the clitoris? Oh, yes. Oh, I Absolutely. like where you're going with yep. this. For some reason, the word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. Okay. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. <laughs> this is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. <laughs> and now... The one, the only... Bottom. Yes, bottom. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are not live, but this is a brand new episode. If you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, September 28th, 2019 at DNRstudios.com, the only place you can hear this podcast throughout the week. It first airs if you listen elsewhere. And you really should not be listening elsewhere. You should be listening at dnrstudios.com. But if you do, leave us your ratings and reviews. I recently uh, asked for more ratings and reviews, and I got them. I got like 10 in a day. And the, the ranking on this podcast shot way the fuck up on iTunes. Like, seriously jumped 500 spots in a day. We went from like... Uh, number a thousand in comedy podcasts to number 500 so those reviews really make a difference don't just give me five stars i love that too but also write a little review it makes a difference like the facebook page download my comedy albums keep jb on the ass by going to adamsank.com today's show we have legendary journalist michael musto one of our favorite guests uh the last time he was on really was a terrific segment and this one will also be great because michael will be discussing an article he wrote for new now next i think i have that right called the 11 most depressing queer movies ever made simon do you like a depressing movie I didn't even introduce you. It's not your fault, JB. Well, there we go. Simon yes. Mathis is back as our guest co-host, Hello. ladies and gentlemen. Ryan Hello, is dear listeners. Ryan is still in Chicago. He's apparently moved to Chicago for the Forever. month of September. Yes. But Simon, you like depressing movies? Who doesn't? I think it's very important to have a range of emotions and to really have a good weepy every now and then. You know, so soul destroying. Let all those woes out with a really sad movie. I like depressing movies as long as there's a glimmer of hope. Um, you know, for instance, HBO's excellent adaptation of Angels in America, which is like 10 episodes, um, is fantastic. And, you know, it's a lot to do with AIDS and homophobia and just there's horrible things that happen in that. But it's also so inspiring and, and beautiful and meaningful. So for me, I, I need a little bit of, of uh, cream with my coffee. Some light at the end of the tunnel. If you know what I'm saying. But, um, but Michael, and some of the movies Michael's going to be talking about are shit movies, and some of them are actually great movies. But um, he ranked them according to how depressing they are. So we'll be talking to him later. Um, 
Also today, Simon, we'll be playing catch up. There's going to be a lot of stories here that are really old. Mm -hmm. And this happens once in a while on the ask because our, our studio schedule gets funky. But um, but they're important stories. They need to be told. And who else is going to tell them to you? Well, old news is what you do best. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like a read. She read you for filth just now. Oh, never. Never, never, never. Ooh, turn those crickets down a little bit. Um, once again, our friend Jeff is here in the studio silently observing. We're not allowed to say his last name. He's got a, a, a very important job. He works for the CIA. Oh, shit. Was I not supposed to say that? If you do, I have someone to look. I have someone for you to look for and probably give me the address so I can assassinate them. Thank you. Wow. JB is still feeling dark. Uh, once again, he did not smoke pot before the show. And uh, it's a little bit like... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Weed. <laughs> we we definitely got Mr. Weed today. So we're gonna JB's gonna try to make it through this show without crying uh, or stabbing anyone. Um, but actually, that's a terrible segue to this first story. Uh, <laughs> JB, can you turn up my level just just a scoot? There we go. So this happened. Um, back on September 10th, and uh, it was really a horrifying story. I wanted to talk about it on our last live show, but we, um, I basically forgot to. Anyway, so there's this 23-year-old kid, this, uh, this gay Jewish kid named Adam Eli, and he's minding his own business. He's making his way through New York on the subway. He's wearing a pink kippah. Mm -hmm. You know what a kippah is? Yes, Simon is miming a small hat that goes on one's head. Uh, most people know it by its Yiddish uh, term, yarmulke, mm -hmm. but the Hebrew word is kippah. And he's got a little pink one because he's showing his, his gay pride and his Jewish pride. He's on the subway. He starts getting harassed by some random stranger. Um, he takes out his phone and starts videotaping the guy as the guy's following him out of the subway, up the stairs, and onto the street. And uh, take a listen to this. Explain it. Talk it out. You're desecrating the name of God. Leviticus because of my 18, outfit? verse 20 says, Any man that lies with another man, that's an abomination. It's Torvat Hashem. You'll be murdered for it. Take the kippah off. You're going no. to Hashem. This is my life in my city. Life. I don't have to take my kippah off. Stay in the closet. Make no. sure your closet is in another closet. Instead, you want to come out and you still be in a closet. Take your kippah off. This is not Judaism. Take your kippah off. This is not Stay Judaism. Stay away from me. Judaism is against abomination. To Ibat Hashem. Every person that sees one sees the kippah. You! They see my kippah. And they see this on my ass. You see that? Do you know what that means? I'm not sure what's on his ass. I think it's some kind of pride. Yeah, it was the pride flag patch. Okay. On his ass. I think he also had the large pink triangle <clears throat> on the back of his jacket. Yeah, he, I mean, he was clearly wanting people to know that he was gay and, and Jewish. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, listen, anyone who's a religious Jew wears a yarmulke. It's not mm -hmm. about wanting other people to know. It's you're following the commandment. What's really strange about this story to me, uh, aside from the fact that it's like terrifying to be attacked and harassed in public or anywhere is that the guy the attacker is a black guy who's clearly jewish or at least knows hebrew he keeps saying Hashem, which is like abomination against god i don't know too many african-american jews um okay so real talk this is this is i feel like this is weird for us to see this because we're in first world country but in third world countries if you're a gay that following is not only following it's a it's a beat down and murder no, I know. 
But have, I'm asking you, do you know a lot of black Jews? Muslims, sure, but not not Jews. Particularly Jewish. The only ones I know are the black Israelites who stand on the street screaming about how we're all going to hell and you know white people are the devil. But they're not actual Jews. They they're sort of their own thing that they created, and they also wear very um, flamboyant uh, garments. This oh, this so kid flamboyant. looks like uh, this kid looks like someone who would go to like a, a private high school. He's he's really nicely dressed. He's got a backpack on, little baseball cap he doesn't look like a crazy person he doesn't look like someone who would be harassing a stranger for no reason um so i'm dying for them to find him a because he needs to go to jail uh-huh. for stalking and harassment and a hate crime but also because like i want to know his whole story like how did he wind up as a black jewish kid uh you know in new york city what if he's not from here and he's from israel or jerusalem no, well, he doesn't have a. Is, he does have an accent that sounds non-American. Doesn't yeah. sound Israeli to me. But in any case, uh, hats off to Adam Eli. Keep us off uh-huh. because he. I would have just fucking run. Like someone starts yelling at me in New York, I am gone. I do not stay and confront them. This kid had balls. He took out his phone. He documented it. He he argued with the guy. He fought back. He tweeted it out. And it made a huge impact. Mayor de Blasio, New York City Mayor de Blasio, actually uh, retweeted it and mm-hmm. said, like, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. And this city is not a place for hate of any kind. So uh, this happened <clears throat> on September 10th. Now, by the time this airs on the 28th, hopefully they will have caught him. But even now, as we speak, it's been a full week mm-hmm. and they still haven't found this guy. And it's weird because he's very... Uh, you can clearly see who he is in the picture. You would think anyone who knows him would be like, oh, I know that dude, and, and reach out to the cops. And it's scary. It is one of those things about just you never know when that attack's going to come. I, That's I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm highly fortunate in the fact that I'm very generically dull white man. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sort of... I'm, I'm, when I walk through the city, I'm in my sort of dull work clothes and going through. So um, I've always been very fortunate. I've never really experienced unexpected harassment like that but i'm not uh, people haven't harassed you for being british well i mean i don't go around sort of drinking tea on the street and throwing crumpets yes you do um sort of bowing and scraping and saying my lud um (laughs) so so i mean i've been very fortunate but you never know when that attack's going to come and i mean yeah you're right this guy did a great job in standing up and i don't know if i would be brave enough to do that and the, the gut reaction is to is some fight or flight and he's clearly gone into fight in a very sensible and very articulate way which is great but this is also not someone you can reason with right all you can do is shout back and hold your corner because this isn't someone who's going to go oh i'm sorry you were right this is someone with a religious vendetta and I mean, I love a religious extremist. They're my favorite people because they're so reasonable. Um, well, so what can you do? But hats off to him, as you say. Yeah, you and honestly, I think in, in, today, in, in Trump's America, your phone can be uh, a very important weapon mm-hmm. against hateful attacks. You know, we, we all need to be documenting this shit when it happens. I, again, would never think to do it. My, I, I'm just a, a pussy and I just flee. But, um, you know, all of those people of color who've been uh, documenting incidents of racism and harassment, mm-hmm. that, it's, it's so important because otherwise it's easy for, for people who aren't experiencing this to go, oh, it's not a problem. Oh, it doesn't really happen. Uh, it happens every minute of every day. Well, I think there's a lot of what you see with um, 
recordings of police officers when they're doing things. That Absolutely. Are, and, and, and that's the great thing because it means you can't turn around and say, oh, it didn't really happen or it didn't happen like that because you have the video evidence. That's right. Uh, and or why you always have to be highly suspicious when the police don't have their cameras on. That that's right. Wearing. So what are you doing? And even if what, they, what they what have a camera on their uniform, who knows if it's on or not? Exactly. You know? Well, here's another de uh, depressing story, and JB, there's a trigger warning for you because this is going to get you really riled up. So there's this guy named McCray Game. First name McCray, last name Game. He was one of the leaders of the conversion therapy movement. He led uh, an organization called Hope for Wholeness, a faith-based conversion therapy program in South Carolina. Um, he was fired in 2017. In June... He publicly announced that he was gay and severed his ties with the organization. He's now basically trying to make amends. He's one of many former conversion therapy leaders who have left the movement and come out as gay. Um, in 2014, before he did, nine founders and leaders from the country's most prominent conversion therapy programs and ministries wrote an open letter calling for a nationwide ban on the practice. Do you know how many people have been through conversion therapy? This kind of shocked me. Uh -huh. An estimated 700,000. Uh -huh. More than half a million people have had to gone through this sham, this violent sham of, of a program that is supposed to change them when we all know that's impossible. And the emotional and psychological trauma uh, that has come from that, you know, it produces depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal tendencies and suicide. It's been condemned by virtually every major medical group in the U.S., including the American Psychological Association, American Medical Association. 18 states in Washington, D.C. have laws on the books banning the practice on anyone younger than 18. It should be banned, period. Uh -huh. And, you know, so now this guy is trying to, to, to make good. I don't know how I feel about him. Like, do we just, do we forgive him? after 20 years of putting young gay kids through this torture, do we just go, okay, you're gay and now you see the light and you're out and you're making amends so you're forgiven. I, I kind of, you know, this happens over and over again and I want to say like, that's great that you came to this realization but like, fuck you, you couldn't do it 20 years ago? Oh, I think also you, as, as soon as you have someone there making amends, I mean, this is the difference between what we were talking about last time with Aaron Shock. Aaron Shock, where he's not at the point where he's ready to make amends. This is someone who's turning around saying, I was wrong. And the religious brainwashing that goes on to think this is acceptable, he has had that upbringing, he has had that experience, and he has been forced so deeply into the closet. And he is now at the point where he is coming out. And so I think some compassion and understanding is there. Sorry, my dog is interrupting you, oh, Simon. It's all right. She's excited that our guest is here. She has views. We're all for it. Yes. Uh, so she I, agrees with you. So I think, that, I think that compassion is important. But again, it's not a free pass. But, Sorry. But nor is he asking for a pe free pass. He is saying, I was wrong and I'm JB, trying to can make can you grab amends. her? Uh, or Jeff? Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it's better that he does it now than never but oh. i just i wish these people would before they spend decades destroying other people's lives i wish they would just fucking come to terms with their own shit and that's <clears throat> kind of how i feel about 
all people mm-hmm. in all, regardless of what yep. you are, straight, gay, black, white, male, female, you know, Republican, Democrat, like deal with your own shit. Of if course. everybody like worked on themselves and became self-actualized, like we wouldn't have wars. People wouldn't be getting beaten and tortured and murdered and, you know, mass shootings and, and it's, we're just we're also fucking broken and damaged. Absolutely, but the, this is the fault of organized religion. Absolutely, and again, he it doesn't give him a free pass. But the compassion of saying this is someone who was so brainwashed by this, but forced him so far into the closet, and anyone who is willing to turn around and say I was wrong and I'm trying to make amends, to me gets the space to do that, and it's not a free pass. But also, he's not trying to give himself a free pass. Well, speaking of people who um, have done real harm to. LGBTQ people. Milo Yiannopoulos is back in the news. And I'm thrilled because the reason he's back in the news is that he's announced that he's broke. The disgraced right-wing troll is complaining that the major social media companies have effectively cut off his alt-right audience and crushed his ability to make a decent living. Uh, Simon, I'm going to let you read this quote in your accent because you sound like Milo. Start with, oh, that's I've, I've spent... I spent years growing and developing and investing in my fan base, and they just took it away in a flash, wrote Yiannopoulos, who previously rubbed shoulders with neo-Nazis and white nationalists. It's nice to have a little private chat with my gold star homies, but I can't make a career out of a handful of people like that. I can't put food on the table this way. Well, fuck you. I'm so happy about this. And it also shows you that it really does make a difference when when companies like Facebook and Twitter, when they actually stand up against hatred and bigotry and intolerance and they go, no, you can't use our platforms for this. You free speech. Great. You can say whatever you want. You're not going to do it on our platform. And he Milo talked about the fact that, you know, there are these other uh, platforms like Gab um, and uh, there's a few others that he mentioned, but no one's using them. You know, right-wing conservatives have tried to create their own Facebooks and their own Twitters, and they're complete flops. Of course, because they're liberal concepts of communication and globalization. So if you are essentially someone who doesn't agree with those principles, it's not going to work. So fuck you, Milo. I'm glad that you're broke. I don't care if you have to go to work, you know, cleaning toilets. But you know what's interesting is he... Not that there's anything wrong with that. He expects a living from sharing his opinions. That's right. Talk it's, about it's, entitlement. This, this isn't a job where you're I like... I share my opinions every Saturday. No one's paid me a fucking dime for and, this. Uh, but also, if, if he... I if spend he, money. If he was sharing those opinions in any corporate company, he would be fired. Right. So he wouldn't be able to have a job exactly. in a regular place. Exactly. So he just wants money from people just to spew his hatred. You've hit the nail on the head. And, and speaking of British people, uh, <laughs> here's a story out of the UK that, that uh, caught my eye. Um, so there's a show called Britain's Got Talent, uh-huh. which I think came... Before America's Got Talent. Most of the good shows do. Right. Simon, what's his face? Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell, uh, that T-shirt wearing asshole. High pants. He created it. Um, So, you know, they have auditions every year. And this year, um, they had them at a place called the Oak Vaults Pub, which is a music venue that happens to be located right next door to a gay bathhouse. This is actual audio from the bathhouse. Uh, needless to say, parents <laughs> were not happy. One father told a newspaper, I, wait, you want to read this? <laughs> I'm making Simon read all the British quotes. All, all the British quotes. Um, I have children and friends who have children who want to go to this, one father told newspaper. 
told the newspaper. It's disgusting that the, that the location has been chosen as this pub. It's like, well, first of all, you're going to a pub. You're not going to the bathhouse. Exactly. And, I mean, some buildings are next to other buildings in cities. It happens. I think the most important question is, Simon, have you been to this bathhouse? Where, where is it? Um, I, no, I haven't. I can tell you I haven't. It's called Gentry Hull. And it's, uh, I mean, I don't know where this is. It, hold on. Do you know where Oak Vault's pub is? No. I don't know every specific pub in the UK. Well, you absolutely <laughs> should. Mm. I mean, this can't be that popular a bathhouse or Simon would have heard of it. Oh, uh, is it actually in Hull? Yes. Oh, that's north. No, we don't go there. Gentry Hull. In Hull. H-U-L-L. Oh, is that, did you look Hull. it up? Our, our fact checker is, uh, is wildly searching the internet to help us out here. Yeah. And, I mean, generally we call them saunas as well in the UK. They're oh, not it's really so classy. It's a sauna. It's a sauna. I'm just going for a quick steam. Gay sauna. Can yeah. I just say the British people are real posh getting their panties in a bunch over a, a bar being next to a bathhouse? I, oh, you don't think that would happen here? I, like, to be fair, in New no. York, they were all shut down. I mean, that's getting your panties into us. Well, no, yeah. Westside Club's still around. <laughs> there, there, so there, I've heard. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I just know someone. I have a friend who shall remain nameless who just went to Westside Club recently and oh. said it was packed with hot guys. And let me tell you something. That was not the case 10 years ago, the last time I went. It was dismal. So apparently that bathhouse has made a comeback. But in that's any cool. case, listen, if you're the kind of parent that's trying to whore your kid out to, to become famous so you never have to work again, then you shouldn't really have that much problem with the fact that there's butt-fucking going on next door. But also, it's, again, it's in a private building. I mean, the most you're going to see is a rainbow flag. Exactly. It's not like people fuck on the sidewalk in front of the bath. I mean, I have. But you're not, <laughs> you might see some trash wandering One in One is out. not supposed to. Um, now, normally at this time, we would have our RuPaul's Drag Race update from Ryan Frostig. But as you know, uh, Ryan is, uh, is away for morning. the month of September. And therefore, we now go to Simon Mathis, our fill-in RuPaul's Drag Race correspondent, with an update. And I'm going to say... Shantae, I'm, you stay. And I'm going to say I'm not a fanatic in the way Ryan is. But this, what's going on? RuPaul makes a huge announcement about Drag Race in 2020. Uh, with the RuPaul's uh, Drag Race franchise not so slowly expanding all over the world with spin-offs like Drag Race Thailand and Drag Race UK, the Bicoastal Dragcon Plus World Tour, uh, after World Tour for the show's alumni, it's only fitting that this little drag show that could is getting its own Las Vegas residency. Yes, that's the headline. So that RuPaul's Drag Race is getting a Las Vegas residency. They are going to be uh, it's an eight-month run with five shows a week. Uh, the revelation was made at DragCon over the... A uh, revelation? A revelation was made at DragCon uh, a couple of weeks ago in New York. Uh, and uh, it's going, apparently it's going to be immersive, interactive thrill ride for anyone who loves to laugh, dance, and sing along. So that's lovely. Thank you. Uh, the show is directed by RuPaul and Jamil Sims, who actually, I was looking into who he was. He's very interesting. Uh, he's a black choreographer and director. Um, so he's a good one. But I actually got in touch <laughs> that's with... That's what's interesting about him, that he's well, black? Well, no, no, no. Um, but, I mean, his big thing, he did a documentary recently uh, uh, called When the Beat Drops, which was about the bucking dance trend. Mm. So that's one that's worth having a look at, I which like is bucking. a really um, energetic dance form that a lot of men of color have picked up from uh, the female dance teams at black, tr traditionally black universities. Interesting. Um, but well, we know Ryan's that, yes. opinion, 
because I thought it was good to go to the source on this. Oh, you went to Ryan so Frostig So Ryan himself? Frostig's opinion about this is, I think it's brilliant and it's actually better for the girls. A residency is always better than a tour and I think from a performance perspective. I'm also happy that World of Wonder and Voss are including the drag, uh, drag race girls who may not be as popular as the girls that do the work the world tours, but that actually live and work in Vegas in the show. Look at Simon so, doing actual reporting actual, for the show. Actual research, yes. Simon, congrats. That deserves applause. My soundboard's well, not working, but I wanted to applaud for I'll, you. I'll clap for myself. There we go. <laughs> you did an excellent job. Thank I, you. Brian has never reached out to anyone for a quote. Well, there you go. I mean, I'm, I'm just go highly Simon. professional. Well, speaking of Drag Race, one of the uh, former queens, uh, what's her name? Farah Moan, mm -hmm. is accusing Ariana Grande of theft. She says that Grande ripped off a look that Pheromone debuted on season four of Drag Race. Um, and uh, there's a side-by-side, -side, I don't have it, of the two dresses, and they really do look exactly alike. Farrah uh, said that um, Grande's team literally sent a picture of me to the designer and paid them to copy my look from All Stars 4. It was All Stars 4, mm -hmm. not season four. Um, she goes, I don't fault the designer because the designer she hired was a local queen and she paid a lot of money to, to have it done and money couldn't, be, you know, they couldn't turn down that money. But, um, but Ariana, you know, has some nerve stealing this look after she herself has launched a $10 million lawsuit against the fashion chain Forever 21, claiming that they had imitated her look for a campaign. Now, JB is now showing up, showing a picture of Pheromone on the left wearing the gown and Ariana wearing it in her new music video. And it's really, it's very, very, very similar. So Farrah's not suing. Mm -hmm. She's not asking for anything. She's just saying like, bitch stole my look and she's a hypocrite. So far, Grande has not commented. I think there's also an idea of like inspirational pieces or direct copies on different people it's it's tough i mean you don't own how much you own a look or whether it's a persona or it's just an idea for something and this is the style i want right your husband would have a lot to say about this he, story i'm sure he would yes as a fashion uh, professional exactly. um has anyone in this room watched the latest season of are you the one on mtv besides me no, I think it's just you. Just I think I, I might be the only person in America that watched it. This was it? the sexually fluid season. So it's a dating uh, show okay. where they put like 20 people in a house. It's usually 10 men, 10 women. And they say someone, someone in this house is your perfect match and you have to find them. And if you all find them by the end of the season, then you w collectively win a million dollars. And there's challenges and there's ways that they can sort of figure out who it is. But this past season was called Come One, Come All. I wish my fucking soundboard were working. Uh, let me try that again. Oh! Thank you. Um, you only use the one sound. Yes. I, well, I use a lot of them. <laughs> anyway, they're all sexually fluid. So any of the men could have wound up with men, any of the women could have wound up with women, or vice versa. And also, two people in the house uh, identified as either trans or non-binary. Um, I was so riveted. I was so excited to watch this. And there were a lot of hot guys uh, in the house. Spoiler, spoiler alert. None of the hot guys wound up with guys as their perfect match. Well, I figured that. None of them. They're not going to put gay sex on TV. Honey, they put it on TV. You saw them fucking and hooking up. You saw guys fucking guys, girls fucking girls, guys fucking girls, the whole spectrum. But when it came to who your perfect match was, almost yeah. they were almost all heterosexual. You can be gay 
for fun, and then but at the end of the day, you got to marry a woman, and you got to have kids. I guess so. Well, that's not what this story is about. This story is about one of the contestants, Remy Duran, who was really hot and had sex with both men and women on the show. His perfect match uh, wound up being... Uh, Oh, God, I don't even remember. But it doesn't matter because he is now with another woman on the show, Paige, who was not his perfect match and who Ryan Frostig used to work with at a restaurant. And he says she's a basic bitch. Anyway, (laughs) he and Paige, are you still with me, guys? Remy and Paige took to Instagram to announce that they're in a relationship and they posed uh, on either side of a dildo that they were licking. And now Remy has been kicked off of Instagram. He's been banned for this. He told Vice, uh, I see so many things on Instagram that are a lot more adult than a dick on a wall. They, they basically stuck the dildo to a wall and then they both posed on either side of it, licking it. You see car accidents when people probably died. You see photos of animal abuse on popular pages. These are real issues, but they have a problem with sex workers. They have a problem with a titty popping out. They have a problem with a gay man and his gay girlfriend posing with a dick on the wall. We say homophobia jokingly, but there's no excuse for deleting this. Uh, oh, this is Paige talking. There's no excuse for deleting his account and not mine for literally posting the same content. So um, they're getting a lot of attention for this, which is what they crave. And um, the moral of the story is you're not allowed to pose licking a dildo on Instagram. So stop doing it, Simon. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll save that for the private photo. I keep telling you that. Um, Okay, we have a couple more stories to do, and then we're going to get to our fabulous guest segment. So, Simon, you're a man of the world. I am, yes, very international. You've lived in London, Paris, Japan. Japan. Have you ever heard of the Lovers of Modena? No. The Lovers of Modena, it's a famous pair of hand-holding skeletons from 1,500 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's always been seen as a very romantic thing that these two skeletons were buried together holding hands. Um, They were assumed to be lovers, which is why they were named the Lovers of Modena. Uh, This is obviously in Italy. Well, a new DNA test has confirmed that both of them were male. Yas queen! Researchers say the couple was likely buried uh, together holding hands intentionally. This was not an unusual funeral practice uh, during that time. I'm sorry, they're 6,000 years. No, 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 that's a different pair. Sorry, this is hard to read. Um, researchers say that social and religious restrictions on a homosexual relationship at that time make it unlikely that the two were meant to, to look like lovers. They could have been brothers. They could have been father and son. Um, but they say we cannot exclude that these two individuals were actually in love. So the gay world is very excited about this. Do you have any reaction? Well, I think it's always this, this idea <laughs> that being gay is new and it's it's not it's throughout history and we always have to remember that the oppression of gay people is a constant in society and so why we always have to continue to fight for it because homosexuality has been found and all queerness has been found all throughout history and so anything that we can pinpoint in history and say that was a gay moment or alexander the great was bisexual or anything like that is great and we should make it into mainstream culture because it normalizes all queer community throughout history. Many months ago, we did a show on this. We did a story on the show about a caveman that had been dug up and was believed to have semen in his rectum. 
uh, and there was speculation that he may have been the world's first bottom. <laughs> but in fact, <laughs> it was a hoax of a story. Semen does not last that long. It degrades rather quickly. So, um, yeah. yeah. But there's definitely always been uh, butt-fucking. That's the moral of this story. And on that note, Cowboy it's Cowboy butt sex. Yes. <laughs> on that note, it is time for our weekly Pride update. Hit it, Ann Steele. Love can take us there. Everybody sing. I want to be anywhere. I still haven't learned the words. We do this every week. Sing it, JB. Oh, love. All right. This week, we're celebrating Mid-South Pride in Memphis, Raleigh Pride in North Carolina, Hispanic LGBT Pride in Miami. It's Aloha Maui Pride down in Kalui? K-A-H-U-L-U-I, Hawaii. And finally, October 11th through 13th is Atlanta Pride in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, you know, I lived in Atlanta for two years, and I don't remember there being Pride at the time. We had Hotlanta which was a big circuit party, but um, but no pride. So good for them. I'm glad that they are, are having it. And that takes us to our very proud guest, who we're always proud to have here. Uh, the legendary journalist Michael Musto has written an article for New Now Next entitled The 11 Most Depressing Queer Movies Ever Made. And as soon as I saw it, I said, I need to have him here. So please give it up for Michael Musto. Oh, thank you. By the way, I'm the first one to lick donuts, and Ariana stole that from me. Yes, I mean, I, I knew that. And are you filing a lawsuit? I trademarked it a little too late. <laughs> anyway, I could have made this article 100 million depressing gay movies because I, I can't think of one gay movie that isn't depressing. Well, I was thinking about that. There's, there's a, a, a number of seminal AIDS movies that are not on this list. Longtime Companion, Philadelphia, It's My Party. Were those not, uh, did, did, why didn't they make the top 11? I thought those, those were kind of a duh. Like a movie about AIDS is going to be depressing, especially because they all were, you know, in the height of the epidemic before it was manageable. Right. Um, I didn't want to depress people further by even mentioning those movies. Yeah. But uh, the list is kind of half movies that are well done, and that's why they're depressing, because they deal with homophobia in very potent ways. And the other half are just terrible movies that are homophobic and a reflection of their time when the views of us people were really warped. Michael, do you have a cold? Your voice is lower than usual. I have allergies. Usual. I sound like Lauren Bacall or Brenda Vaccaro. Are you allergic <laughs> to my dog? <laughs> yes. Please get rid of your dog. Oh, really? I feel sad because I sound like Bernie Sanders. I'm so phlegmy. <laughs> you have to yell louder. <laughs> what was wrong with him? Healthcare for everybody. Didn't you want him to clear his throat the other night? Except for me. <laughs> so why 11 and not 10? Because <laughs> I thought of 11. And I wanted to make it diverse, so I made sure to have you know some trans movies. A Fantastic Woman is the movie that won the Oscar yes. uh, last year. Mm -hmm. It's a Chilean it's a film. film. Yeah, and it's actually superbly done. And it's actually a trans actor. Daniela, I forget her name, Vega, Vega mm -hmm. playing the lead role. Imagine a movie where they actually got a trans actor to play a trans role. Yeah. <laughs> it Which wasn't Scarlett Johansson. That seems to be the norm now, finally. It took a long time to get there. But, no, no, uh, that's a Chilean film. It is not the norm in Hollywood films at all, and it, I don't think it ever will be, but we're well, trying. But now we have Pose, where all the trans characters are played by trans actors. That's TV, honey. Not true. <laughs> that's cable. All right, we're going to get to A Fantastic <laughs> Woman, but I want to start at the top of your list. And this first movie... You know, I've never actually seen this movie, and I've always wanted to because it's discussed at length in The Celluloid Closet. 
it's the children's hour. So set this up for us. What's the children's hour about? It's based on a Lillian Hellman play, uh, which had been written way before that. And when it was first done as a movie, uh, they changed it because obviously in the 30s, they couldn't address homosexuality. So they made it about adultery. By the time this came around in the 60s, they were brave enough to make it about homosexuality, but it's really disturbing. It's about Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn play friends and teachers at a school, and there's a bratty little girl, like a Rhoda Pedmark type, and she just decides to start a rumor that Audrey and Shirley are lesbians and they're doing it with each other. She whispers it to her grandmother. Yeah, and the rumor just goes like a house on fire, like one of my blind items used to do. And, <laughs> Back in the day. And uh, it's so upsetting, and the consequences are so dire that Shirley MacLaine ends up hanging herself. I saw this movie on TV as a kid, knowing I was gay, and thinking, this is my future. I'm going to kill myself. Well, that's right. And, and the, the point the celluloid closet makes over and over again is that, until very recently in film, gay characters were always doomed. Right? Yes. They were either going to kill themselves, they were going to get murdered, they were going to become murderers. Something awful was going to happen if you were... If you were... You, uh, the gay characters in movies were always either psychopaths or victims. Never happy-go-lucky. And that was also what the media was portraying, that gays are sad, sad people. Well, and you might say Children's Hour reflects the reality of homophobia. It does, but it didn't give you the good message. It never said, well, oh, how terrible that this has to happen. It was just like, yeah, this is what would happen. Let's listen to a clip from the Children's Hour. That's it. <laughs> I have loved you the way they said. <laughs> There's always been something wrong. Always, just as long as I can remember. Uh. But I never knew what it was until all this happened. Stop it, Martha. Stop this crazy talk. You're afraid of hearing it, but I'm more afraid than you. I won't listen to you. No, you've got to know. I've got to tell you, I can't keep it to myself any longer. I'm guilty. <laughs> You're guilty of nothing. So Shirley MacLaine's character actually is a closeted lesbian. I don't even think so. I think that's the other damaging message of the movie. It's like, well, a rumor can turn you gay. Just somebody whispering about it is going to make you gay. Is that I don't not think true? She's gay. And then the way it's presented, I'm guilty. And that's crazy talk. Yes, I've thought bad thoughts. How damaging was this movie to my generation? Was it a, Look how twisted is, I am aside now, from, to this movie. <laughs> aside from the terrible message, is it a good movie? I mean, you've got one, Audrey is. Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine, two of the greatest if actresses. It, if it was just over the top and ridiculous, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have had any power over me. Right. But it's well done. Shirley and Audrey are great. Uh, Faye Bainter is wonderful. One of the things I remember from Celluloid Closet is Shirley MacLaine says she and Audrey never discussed the script never once talked about what it meant or they, they basically just came and did their job and left. Well, that's the only way to survive a movie like that. Those were two pretty uh, savvy women who, if they had analyzed the script, I think would have killed them to kill themselves for real. Number two on your list is Victim. Tell us about Victim. Victim was a 1961 British film with Dirk Bogard, who uh, was always in all these gay movies. He was quite groundbreaking, and he played a barrister in England who was dealing with the fact that gays were being blackmailed, and one of them had killed them, killed himself. And, in fact, the guy who killed himself happened to be Dirk Bogard's boyfriend, even though Dirk Bogard in the movie is married to a woman. Right. So it's actually a very brave film that is advocating change. And, of course, the laws eventually were changed in England. Uh, it wasn't illegal to be gay after a while. They were a little bit ahead of us. Yeah. The next one was a, was a blockbuster, uh, Monster, based on real-life lesbian serial killer 
Eileen Warnos. Am I getting that right? Yeah, and Charlize Theron won the Oscar. She was brilliant as Eileen. The movie almost makes you root for Eileen. It's so sympathetic to what she went through, remember? Yeah. Uh, you know, she's going through misogyny. She's a prostitute. Men are horrible. They're abusive. She's going through a homophobia. She finds this nice younger girlfriend, Christina Ricci, uh, but she kind of melts down from all the abuse. And it's so almost in her team that you're almost rooting for her to kill people. But then your decency takes over and you're like, her killing people is just as bad as and worse, actually, than what she has been through. All around, it's so depressing. But this is one of the rare cases where it's depressing because it's really well done. Well, and Charlize Theron, of course, was lauded for not only being a straight woman playing a gay woman, but also making herself look so hideously ugly when, in fact, she's you know one of the most beautiful women in the world. That's a guaranteed way to get an Oscar. I mean, <laughs> it it, it worked really... for Shelley Winters. It works for De Niro. But in this case, she gave a brilliant performance, so I don't begrudge her the award. They dogged her up. Um, okay, <laughs> so the next film is another one I always have meant to see because it's talked about in Celluloid Closet. It's The Killing of Sister George. This is another one that is so damaging, like Children's Hour. This is the one that, dam that damaged the lesbians of that generation. Beryl Reed plays a, a British soap opera actress. Her character is named Sister George. They're going to kill the character, and so she's going to be ruined, and it's because of Beryl Reed's character's uh, off-screen behavior. She's very vulgar. She has a younger girlfriend played by Susanna York named Childy, who's an arrested child, and they have an S&M relationship. But you know what? If it was just an S&M relationship, I could deal with it. That's yeah. part of life. It's just an S relationship. It's pure sadism. Childy doesn't want to be <laughs> abused. She's just stuck in this horrible relationship. And then Coral Brown comes along. She was Vera Charles in Auntie Mae, remember? Yes. She comes around and is an even more sadistic lesbian and steals Childy away. And it ends with Beryl Reed going, move Moo, moo. That's the ending. Why moo, moo? She just feels like a cow. I think she's been forced to play a cow at that point. She's so degraded. But It I mean, sounds kind of like it could be a camp classic. It is now. Now it doesn't bother me. I just enjoy it. It's so crazy. And Beryl Reed is playing to the balcony. She had done it on Broadway, and she's doing it as if it's a play. Uh, but at the time, it was really deeply disturbing. It, it just made lesbians look t sick and twisted, like Children's Hour. And it came out around the same time as Children's Hour, right? It's early 60s, black and white. Um, yeah, it was mid to late 60s, yeah. Next on your list is The Sergeant, starring Rod Steiger. Well, this one might have a good message because it's about the damage of the closet. And Reflections in a Golden Eye with Marlon Brando was similar. Rod Steiger plays a sergeant, the title character, who's madly in love with a young guy played by John Philip Law. Remember him from Barbarella? I don't, but he's very cute. I saw the clip. He's gorgeous. And uh, Rod Steiger is all pent up and twisted about his fixation on this. Because, of course, in the Army or anywhere at that time, you couldn't be openly gay. And it's not only about the closet, it's about how this hideous Rod Steiger's in love with this gorgeous twink. So he's kind of it's unattainable. Very, very uh, something I can relate to in my own life. And of course he goes crazy and starts killing. And well, in the clip that I saw, it's crazy because he shows up to, to profess his love for the twink and to kiss him, but he does it in the middle of a bar. Like he's just like in, a, like in, in some other country, right? In, in France? No, I think it was industry bar. It was an industry. No, but he, like, of all places to, to, to make a gay move at that time, why would you do it in public? Because where everyone, it's supposed everyone to watching? show how crazy he's become. He can't control his impulses anymore. That's how gay people are. They sexually assault you. I mean, it's, it's really... a horrible piece of shit. Can... <laughs> JB, can you play a clip from the sergeant? This is the scene I was talking about. I've been through hell, Swanny, and I'm not going to go through it again. You're mine. No, you're wrong. Now, you listen to me. Mm. Now, I'm leaving, 
And I'm asking you, please, Sergeant, just leave me alone. Don't follow me, and don't come around me. Get away! No, no, please. He grabs him and starts making out with him. Happens all the time. I wish it happened to me. <laughs> I identify with you the Rod the Steiger sergeant. character. Yeah. yeah. All right, number six on your list is something called The Fox. Yes, this is another lesbian thing. It's based on a D.H. Lawrence novella. And uh, Sandy Dennis and Anne Haywood, who had played a transgender in a movie called I Want What I Want, which is actually good. In this case, they're two lesbians in the country in a remote farmhouse, just kind of cuddling and having fun. But the message of the movie is all you need is dick, because along comes Cure Delay. About who somebody said Cure Delay gone tomorrow. Remember, <laughs> he was. Uh, I don't remember Cure Delay. He was this exactly. Great. Name. He was the star of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Oh, and Buddy Lake is missing. And anyway, he comes along and basically he enlightens, awakens, and arouses them. And it's like, oh, we don't need uh, each other's pussies anymore. We have a penis now. It's I mean, a that seems plausible message. to me. <laughs> I think Dick <laughs> Isn't is that everything. what lesbians need. Dick has changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> Was the did the fox make any impact? Some of these no. movies, you know, you remember. I don't remember the fox at all. No, it was an already little thing that nobody went to see. I went, I only went because when I grew up in Brooklyn, there was a one dollar movie theater nearby where all the movies that bombed crash landed, and you got to see them for a buck. Yeah. So you actually saw all of these prior to to making your list. Yeah, uh, one I left out was Boys in the Band, and I actually didn't see that till later on. And I I'm not including Boys in the Band, even though it yeah. Tell us why. To me, the banter is so witty and bitchy and fun that it's inspiring. And then when they get evil, I actually like Michael for kind of making them all call their first love. He's outing them. He's telling them, confront your love, confront your sexuality. Yeah, they're all shattered at the end, but they're going to see each other the next day. The last thing is Harold saying, call me tomorrow. It's a movie I kind of love and hate. I do love that some of the dialogue is brilliant. My favorite line from the whole piece is um, when Emery calls the boy that he was in love with growing up and he he ends up getting his wife on the phone right is that what happens and and he's a dentist right right and he tells him he's like i love you and then he kind of freezes and he puts the phone down and someone says uh what did she say because he's talking to the wife and emery says she said i must have the wrong party and harold goes she's right we all have the wrong party because they're all at this horrible party. I know. <laughs> so it's really Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf for gays. Right. It's such a ripoff. I mean, I think for its time, it was brilliant and bold. Um, I think, you know, I do wish that they didn't all hate themselves so much. But they did capture the witty banter that goes on among gay men but when I they get together. But I found it a family. I found it really, yeah, they don't hate each other. It's just Michael is a catalyst for a lot of hurt feelings, but they're, they're a family. Michael's get an ready, awful Get character. ready for another movie. Get ready for another movie. The Netflix movie is coming out. Yeah, tell us who's in that cast. It's the Broadway cast uh, of Jim Parsons, Matt Bomer, uh, Zach Kinto, Robin DeJesus, etc. I didn't get to see it, so I'm very excited for that. I did see an off-Broadway production a few years back in Chelsea that was excellent. And I do think it can be done... Uh, a, in a way that's a little less gruesome than the original um, Friedkin film. Friedkin, right? And Friedkin did another movie that I left off the list, Cruising. Yes, why did you leave off Cruising? I don't think it's that bad. I think, it's, I think people can't see that it's about homophobia. It's not homophobic. It's about, I agree. When I finally can we have saw a movie it, about homophobia? When I finally saw <laughs> Cruising, I, 
I had a hard time understanding what the... Uh, listen, I get that in 1980 or whenever it was made, there weren't a lot of images on film of LGBTQ people. And so to have these S&M leather people and sort of everyone's spooky and creepy and crazy, like that wasn't necessarily a great representation. But you're right. The gay people, the queer people are not villains, by and no. large, in the film. And they're victims. The, the gay people I used to see at the Airville were protesting the movie. It's like they're showing your community. Right. I felt that way about Silence of the Lambs, too. I never thought that the, that movie was making any kind of statement about trans people. In fact, Dr. Dr. Lecter says to Clarice, he's not trans, but he's tried to be. He's tried to be a lot of things. Mm, I had a problem with the movie. But you did. I didn't include it. I also didn't include Boat Trip, which I thought was bad, but not horrible. I think people jumped on calling that. Atrocity. Let's get back to your list. Number seven is yeah. Summer Lovers. Summer oh. Lovers. Happen so fast. Yeah. Uh, this is by Randall Kleiser, who did um, Grease and the Blue Lagoon, and It's My Party. And it was an early 80s film with Peter Gallagher and Daryl Hannah as boyfriend and girlfriend, and they go to the Isles of Grease for a vacation, and they meet Valerie Kittison, this wonderful French girl, and they have a three-way, except in the original cut, the three-way was really a three-way. Daryl and Valerie were doing it. Uh, in the studio version, after the edits, it was a hetero three-way. Oh, for God's sakes. It was two, guys, two girls for every guy, basically. That's bullshit. Yeah. And recently, I got uh, it was done in some gay film festival, revived, and they sent a release saying, this is an ode to pansexuality. And it, it, it's not. It's, it was supposed to be, but it's not. I hate when they straight wash things. It's so infuriating. Yeah, it's like mansplaining. <laughs> Next on your list was a blockbuster. This was a movie that was nominated for multiple Oscars. I think it won. Did it win Best Picture that year? No, one actor and actress. The movie is as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson and Greg Kinnear. I have to say, it's one of those films that everyone has seen, but I've never seen it. I hate this movie, and I could not understand the hoopla. And I love James L. Brooks, who did it. He did the Mary yes, Tyler Moore show. Yes, one of my favorite directors. He did of Endearment. Yes. In this case, Jack Nicholson's a horrible, hateful misogynist and a homophobe. Greg Kinnear is a sweet gay guy. Greg Kinnear is beaten up uh, and ends up losing everything. All his gay friends abandon him because that's how gays are. Meanwhile, this is, as this is happening, the gay community is rallying to fight AIDS because no one else will help us except a few allies. Right. But in this fucking movie, the poor fag you know, is all alone. And who helps him out? The, the homophobe, Jack Nicholson. Because it's the plot device that the, the homophobe is going to turn into a decent person. It's Ebenezer's, Ebenezer's spooge. <laughs> this is actually very similar plot to another movie that didn't make your list with I believe it's called Flawless with Philip Seymour Hoffman that piece of shit. Oh. and Robert De Niro right directed by Joel Schumacher who's openly gay and recently gave an interview where he said he slept with like 50 million people or something yes <laughs> but isn't that the plot uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is, Hoffman is this tragic drag queen sort of down on her luck and Robert De Niro is this viciously homophobic neighbor and has a stroke who had, oh, right, so, she, so, so Philip so has needs, to take care of De Niro. And Philip is one of those stereotypes, may he rest, one of those stereotypical drag queens where every other word, honey, honey, like that's how drag queens talk. Yeah, he, <laughs> uh, he was pretty rough-looking queen, if I, if I remember. Oh, God, it was ghastly. <laughs> that's a fucking depressing movie. I think yeah, that might be number 12 on this Number 12, yeah. But, uh, but, but both movies have that trope of the, uh, you know, sort of the angry homophobe who's got a heart of gold. And, it's designed and to it's make the more straight gay feel victimhood. better. It's the yeah, straight it's savior, throwing us under the it? bus all over again. All right. Uh, number nine is something called Staircase. 
That's another piece of shit from the 60s, and it's based on a play. And it has two big names playing gay, Rex Harrison and Richard Burton. So that was the attraction. These are two very prestigious British actors, and they're playing gay lovers. But they're bitchy. They're always fighting. It's like they're boys in the band characters 30 years later. Right. But with none of the heart, none of the empathy, just bitch, bitch, bitch. And I just thought the way they opened up the play was really artificial. And it's What's so, the plot? Is there a plot to this movie? They're just fighting, and they both have mothers that are in peril, and there's no plot at all. One of them is a hairdresser, one of them is an actor. It was directed by Stanley Donan, who did Singing in the Rain, which is a little bit better. You know, these, these films from the 60s and 70s, I think at the time the directors really thought they were helping, you know, by trying to tell stories about queer people. And they were, by and large, straight directors. Um, so you have to kind of give them a little bit of credit, and at the same time, they're just so poorly executed. I don't even think anything's changed since then. I mean, all the movies now, the gays are either going to get murdered like Harvey Milk, or they're going to be uh, murderers like Eileen Werner's. Oh, I think that's unfair. I think Milk, first of all, Milk is, is historically accurate. I mean, it's the story of an actual person who, who was assassinated. So what? They love us. No, I know that, but they love, they love Boys Don't Cry. They love stories of people who are murdered. Real or not real, they, they love that kind of thing. You're talking about straight mainstream audiences. They want to Movie see. makers and, and movie studios. Yeah, it is true that we don't have a lot of lighthearted uh, gay comedies. I mean, the Broken Hearts Club is probably the last one I can think of, and that was, what, 20 years ago? Well, there was that one, uh, Love not Simon or something. Movie. Oh, yeah, Love Simon. There you go. And Well, not another gay movie is, is a... That's a parody, though. You know? I mean, I guess that sort of counts. These are not major Hollywood films. But Love, Simon was actually kind of groundbreaking, because it's a positive film about a gay teenager, and it's not... No right. one dies. It's not tragic. But it was a very small film that did very well. I'll give this much to Milk. They did not exploit the murder of Harvey Milk. That was just kind of at the very end. And I they didn't even go the into movement. the trial. Yeah, it was about what he accomplished. So I'll give them that much. I loved it. Uh, Call Me By Your Name was, I think, a nice uh, gay movie. I hated it was that. Why? Oh, boy, did I hate it. Because it was one of those artsy films that everyone raves about that I find so tediously dull. I kept waiting for something to happen. I, I couldn't have, be, have been less attracted to Army Hammer's character. And I love Army Hammer. Like, I would actually sit on Army Hammer's dick. And I, the whole movie, I was like, he's an asshole. Why is this teenager so into him? I just thought it was really boring. I didn't even like the peach fucking scene. But everyone no, else loved like it. So. I did not like the peach scene, no. Um, okay. There were enough fruits already up there. Thank <laughs> you. Hey, finally, we get to the one you mentioned earlier, a fantastic woman starring... Um, Daniela Vega. Name, Daniela, I keep wanting to say Yolanda Vega, Vega. <laughs> who pulls the numbers for the New York State Lottery. Yeah. Daniela Vega. And it's so depressing. She plays a nightclub singer who uh, she has an older boyfriend. He, they're very lovey-dovey, and the movie's very sweet in showing their relationship. Out of the blue, he gets an aneurysm and dies. And the whole movie is about what she has to deal with, trying to grieve, trying to bury him, the transphobia she has to deal with. And there are occasional fantasy sequences and hallucinatory uh, segments that kind of elevate the mood for a second, but then it goes right back to her suffering. And I think that's partly what people liked about it. It's like, oh, God, it's so horrible for trans. We know it is. Trans people are murdered every day. We know it is. But we also know that movie makers don't want to show the lighter side. And the fact that, look, I've been gay for a long time. I'm not trans, but I'm gay. Uh, haven't had that many problems. I don't know, though. I, to play devil's advocate, I think we do have to tell the sad stories, the, the true sad stories. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm just saying there should be a diversity of stories. There should be a stories. mix. Right. Show gays being happy. I'm happy. 
I, I'm just living my life. Let's do the Michael Musto story. I know. No one will go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone will go. I want pheromones to play me. There you go. In that, in that gown. <laughs> yes. Um, Michael, I didn't see uh, A Fantastic Woman, but I did see Daniela Vega on uh, an episode, several episodes of the new... Of the Love Boat. No, <laughs> yes, she was wonderful on the Love Boat when she was two. No, um, the new Tales of the City on Netflix. There's a fantastic episode where they go back in time and you learn the story of Anna Madrigal, of when Olympia Dukakis's character first came to San Francisco and, and found these other trans women for the first time in her life. And every trans character is played by a trans woman except for... Olympia, Olympia Dukakis as an adult, as, a, as, a, as an old lady, is played by Olympia Dukakis, right? She's a cisgender woman. But the young Anna is played by a trans actress. Daniela Vega is one of the friends. It's really some of the best TV I've seen in years. Um, that series is uneven. You, you haven't seen it? I don't watch TV. I, watch, uh, I used to watch Golden Girls. Now I watch Carol Burnett. That's all you watch on television? That's all I need, baby. There's a lot of good stuff streaming on Netflix and Hulu. Oh, please. I actually have a life. Watch Tales. <laughs> Do you? Watch Tales of the City. I think you'll you have, have you to been, stick with it. Have you binge-watched season nine of blah, 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 blah? It's like, no, I have a life. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, number 11, finally, is one that I've never heard of that I must see because it looks like the campiest shit show of all time. It's called Sometimes Aunt Martha Does Dreadful Things. And somebody made a dreadful movie. It's about two guys who are ostensibly lovers, though it's never addressed. They sleep in the same bed, and they're on the lam for crimes that they have done in Miami. And one of them, whenever, whenever he gets upset, just kind of dresses like the other one's Aunt Martha in terrible, terrible dress. Isn't, isn't he in hiding? Isn't that why he's, he's dressing up, too? Yeah, that's what he's, in he, he's incognito. Yeah. <laughs> what? And, but, but basically, when the, the one who tries to romance women, I, and none of this is explained, he can never get it up with the women, but that doesn't stop Aunt Martha from getting jealous, and she turns into full Aunt Martha, a.k.a. Norman Bates mode, and starts murdering and butchering the girls. Now, we have a clip of this, and what strikes me is that this, you know, the, the murderer, the scary character, uses this voice that sounds like a Warner Brothers cartoon. He's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? So take, take a listen to this clip from... Sometimes Aunt Martha does dreadful things. Oh, no, you don't. Come on, pussycat. <laughs> you want to be gorgeous, don't you? Huh? Stay away from me, I swear you not. Hell the hell Come on! Going to cut a little cabbage off the head? Uh, come on! He's chasing him around with a pair of scissors. And by the way, he's, it's really bad drag. He's basically just wearing a house dress and a wig. There's no it's makeup. Terrible. He looks like Hermione Gingold, if you remember her. <laughs> but basically, yeah, it's like Joan Crawford uh, cutting little Christina's hair. It's that kind of thing. Is there but anything guess, redeeming guess in this? Teased? No. Uh, just that I watched it with my movie club, and we had a great, great time watching it because it's fun to watch it in a, a group with some alcoholics. But basically, <laughs> TCM showed this movie for Pride Month. And oh, my like, goodness. Really? There's nothing really too prideful about this. No. Michael, you clearly have an have a issue with uh, most gay films, it seems like. What's your favorite gay? What's a really good queer film? Value of the Dolls. Oh, come on. Well, Ted Casablanca is a fag. Yeah, but he's that's not a good character. 
or, or good characterization. <laughs> oh, you want good character? And also, that's not really about. I mean, he's a minor character. Um, I actually have an to answer me. It's to about this. Ted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's my favorite gay movie? Oh, that's a difficult one. I, is it awful to say Boys in the Band? No, they're perfectly. I acceptable. mean, it's pure enjoyment, and you can't take the the horrible part too seriously anymore. Mine is Latter Days. I never saw that. Oh my god! I think you would enjoy it. It's a it's an early two thousands movie about a gay Mormon who goes on a mission to L.A. and meets this like Twinkie party boy who is basically has a bet that he can seduce him, and um, it's wonderful. Michael, your article. Oh, I also liked uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. Beautiful there you go, Michael. You can, Michael's articles can be read in New Now Next. How can people follow you on social media? On Twitter, I'm Mikey Musto. On Instagram, I'm Musto184. And you can also follow me on Facebook. Thank you so much for joining us. Please come back. Simon Mathis, thank you for co-hosting with us all these weeks. Thank you. Thank you, JB. Uh, next week, Ryan will return as co-host with one of our ass favorites, actress Shakina Nafak. Have a fabulous week, bitches. Bye. Bye.